chapter 18, John 18. And if you're here today and you do not have a personal copy of God's Word, there's one in the pew back in front of you, and we want to invite you to take that today uh, with you as you leave as our gift to you. We believe in the truths and the power uh, that are contained in the Bible, and so we want you to have a personal copy if you have one uh, or if you, would, if you need one. Last week, as you just saw, uh, the little uh, the bumper video there, I started a mini-series entitled Finding You in the Resurrection. And we're going to take, uh, starting last week, four weeks and look at people that we encounter in and around the events of Jesus' uh, death. Uh, his, his burial and his resurrection. And we're going to see how we identify with those people. But we're also going to look and see how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed that person and how we, as a result, can be changed as well. So if you were here last week, we looked at Barabbas, uh, the criminal who was there with Jesus and was released. Uh, he was set free that day. We talked about how Barabbas' guilt uh, was, was uh, passed over because Jesus took his place and how Jesus sets us free from guilt as well. This morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Peter, one of the disciples. Uh, you may be familiar with Peter, at least with the name of Peter as one of the disciples. And I'll tell you, this angle, this part of Peter's life is one of my favorite to look at about Peter. And I say angle because there are a whole lot of things we can learn about Peter, all right? He's a great case study to look at and see his faithfulness and his zeal for Christ and how he sometimes got tripped up and put his foot in his mouth and so many things to learn. But I love looking at this particular uh, situation in Peter's life. Life and the significance that it holds for him and for us as well. The similarity with Peter that we're going to see this morning is that of fear. That of fear. Fear is a common emotion. It's a common experience uh, for us as human beings. We all, at some point in our lives, in some way, form, or fashion, have all been afraid, have we not? We understand fear, and fear can elicit several different responses from people. Uh, two at the top we call or the fight or flight instinct. You've heard of that, the fight or flight. When, when people get afraid, when they get scared, uh, adrenaline begins to course through their body, and they can, they can go after someone. They can fight uh, and have even superhuman strength. You may have seen in the media accounts recently the 15-year-old boy who picked up a car to get his grandfather out from under that. Did you see that here in about the last month or six weeks? The, the car jack slipped, and the car fell on his grandfather. He feared for his grandfather's life, and so he picked this car up so his grandfather could scoot out. And so there's that adrenaline. That, that's that fight that comes in and goes after things. And I shared last week that I love America's Funniest Videos. One of my favorite clips, I'm not going to show you this week, one of my favorite clips is where there, there's this Halloween thing, and a guy set up a camera on his front porch, and he dressed up like a scarecrow or some kind of a scary creature, and he was holding a bowl of candy in the chair, and people would come up and he'd go, Rah! and scare them, and they'd all jump and do stuff. It, it was hilarious. And this dad walks up with his three kids, and they gather around, and the guy goes, Boo! And he scares them. And he scared the dad all right, scared him so bad that he goes, Bam! just punches him right in the face without even, and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> Love it. Rewind it, play it over and over. That's what you get. That's what you get. I think I enjoy that so much because that similar thing happened in my life. I grew up in a practical, joking family. That would surprise you to think that we were always busting on one another doing stuff. And we loved to scare uh, one another in our family. We would do anything we could to startle and scare uh, our family members. And I still do that today. I mean, I, I have scared all three of our kids so bad. They've all cried at some point, right? My wife's shaking her head. 
I know I'm going to be paying therapy for that later, but it, it, it's a blast. You know, they're, Daddy, you scared me. It's like, I suck it up and move on, you know. And then they get, and then they get me, and I'm like, stop doing that. You know, I'm, I'm focused here. But uh, uh, Daniel, if you ever see my youngest, he's five. If I'm in a car waiting and he walks in front of the vehicle, he walks like this. Because he knows it is a written rule. If I can get to the horn and you're walking in front of the car, I'm going to blow it. All right? Just let you go, dude, you know. But my mom, I jumped out. I was seven or eight years old, and she was doing something. And I jumped out. I went, ah! just this blood-curdling scream, and it scared her. And she went, ah! and she started smacking. <laughs> and at seven or eight years old, my head is just about the height for that hand. And she, before she could realize what she was doing, and me startled at the response, I got nailed like five or six times before I could back away and she could pull off. So, so this whole fear thing, I mean, we loved it. You know, that, that whole fight thing, I've seen that, you know, kick in. The other instinct is flight. You know, some people are like, come on, it's on. Others are like, yeah, I'm out of here. And, and that's what I think they ought to do in horror movies. I don't know why there's an axe murderer loose in the neighborhood and you go looking in rooms. What is up with that? You know, Dude, I'm gone, you know, out of there. But fight or flight, you know, that, that's what fear does to us sometimes. But another reaction that fear can elicit within us is that of paralysis. Have you ever like, just been so afraid? I mean, just something happens, you're just like, uh, uh, you don't know what to do. You're just kind of frozen up. It's like those little, uh, little goats. You know, you've seen those goats that when they get scared, something with their heart goes on, and they just kind of freeze up and they fall over. It's hilarious to watch. But it's a horrible thing to have happen. You know, that axe murderer is loose in your neighborhood, and you open the door, and he's there. <laughs> Yeah, it's done. So, so paralysis is a reaction to fear. And then there's this whole confusion thing. You know, people who teach in, in crisis management stuff and they, they teach you an intervention, one of the number one things they tell you is when there's a crisis, when there's an emergency, they say, remain calm. Stay calm. Because if you start panicking and you get overwhelmed with these things, you can't think clearly and you can actually do more harm than good. So it's important to remain calm because confusion can set in when a person experiences fear. So as we pick up John chapter 18, we're going to see what happened to Peter as Peter encountered fear. In John 18, Jesus has been arrested. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Judas came, betrayed him. He was carried off. And so they've taken him in, and they're about to begin Jesus' quote-unquote trial, okay? And so verse 15 in John 18 picks up the story of what's happening. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Well, that other disciple is John, who's writing this gospel. He's referenced several times in here, but he never calls himself John or says, it was me. He calls himself another disciple, or at one point, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I don't know if that's more humble or not to say, you know, I didn't say my name, but I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. But anyway, that's who it is. And it says, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So here's Peter watching what's going on. Jesus, whom he loved and had followed for years, whom he cared about, has been arrested. Peter had taken out his sword and struck, you know, the one soldier's ear. And Jesus had healed him and said, we're not going to do it this way. And then the disciples scattered. Peter didn't know what to do. He's at a loss. So he's following at a distance. He doesn't want to get arrested. He's afraid they might, you know, capture him too. So all these thoughts are going on. He's kind of hanging back, watching to see what's going on. John goes in because he's known in the area. He goes in, kind of assesses things, and then we see what happens here. 
uh, in verse, the next part of verse 16. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So she's basically the ancient TSA agent, all right? She's, she's screening people there at the doorway. Uh, the arrest of Jesus and all that's going on, there were rumors. The soldiers had gone out. They were doing all of this secretly. So there was high security. They were making sure that everything was kept under wraps because the religious leaders wanted to make sure that they had Jesus and that they could keep him. And so this girl at the door, John called in a favor, and Peter, and he's like, come on, come on. So Peter gets, and he's making his way into the courtyard, and then bam, suddenly, verse 17, totally unexpected expected to Peter, this young lady says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And panic and fear and confusion and paralysis sets in. I, just, I, I can just envision Peter. He, he's totally not thinking about this servant girl. And all of a sudden she asks, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter says, I am not. He denies Christ. Now, this is significant because just a few hours earlier, Jesus had told Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way. No way will I deny you. I will die before I will deny you. And then, bam, right here, instantly, panic, fear sets in. And Peter says, I don't know one of his disciples. I want you to look at this note in verse 18. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think Peter, as he's standing around that fire with all these people, watching what's going on, trying to look for Jesus, catch a glimpse, if part of the dialogue going on in his mind is, what did I do? I can't believe I just denied Jesus. I told him I would never deny him. I would die. And yet this servant girl asked me this, and it just right there on the spot, I said, I'm not one of his disciples. Do you think there was a vow and a commitment, a strong commitment in, G in Peter's spirit to say, but not again? I, will, I, I, I got confused. I, I was panicked. I, I, I got scared. Not again. Jesus said three times, I did once, I'm not going to deny him the other two times. Do you think this was probably going on in Peter's mind? I absolutely believe Peter was thinking along those lines. Well, look at what happens in verse 25. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? So he gets asked again, standing around this fire. And I just think in Peter's mind that, that now the, 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 the quick dialogue going on is, man, now I'm here. I, I can't get out because I'm now inside the fence. There's a gate over there with guards around. If I get arrested, I can't help Jesus. You know, if Jesus says, Peter, come bust me out of here. If I'm sitting in a jail cell, I'm going to be no use to him. So again, all this panic, all these fears begin to overwhelm Peter. And he once again says in verse 25, I am not two times, two denials of Christ. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Dude, is that not the worst look at all? I mean, it's bad. He's got all this tension. He's got all this stuff going on. And then a guy who's related to the dude's ear that you cut off when they arrested Jesus shows up at the very same spot. This guy probably came in. You know what it's like to scoop the gossip, right? You want to be the first in the office. Did you hear? 
did you know what went on? And this guy's like, they came to the garden, and there were all these soldiers, and there was this scuffle, and this one dude pulled out a sword, and he lopped off my cousin's ear, and then Jesus went over, and he healed his ear. It was awesome. It was crazy. And then they all ran away, and he's just telling all this stuff. And then as he's looking around this dim fire, low light, he looks over, and he says to Peter, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? That's what he says to him. Did I not see you in the garden with him? That's a much more polite way of saying, aren't you the guy that cut my cousin's ear off? You know, but he just asked, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And now fear, panic once again sets in in Peter's life, in his heart and in his spirit. And now it's not just a matter of have you been seen with Jesus, but now it's didn't you, like, commit a crime and attack a soldier? You know, one of these guys who came. And so the punishment is even greater for admitting that he is now one of the disciples, the one who cut off this guy's uh, relative's ear. And so Peter once again denied it. And John says in verse 27, and at once a rooster crowed. You see, Luke's account of this tells us that on this third denial that Peter realized that the punishment would be much more severe for having uh, admitted to cut this guy's ear off. So Luke says that Peter invoked a curse on himself and began to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He vehemently denied that he knew Jesus this third time. And Luke also tells us that at the moment he made that third denial, that Jesus looked across the courtyard and Peter saw him. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine looking in the eyes of Jesus the instant, the moment after you've sinned against him? Man, we carry guilt, we carry shame. We know what it's like to sin and to offend someone, but to see Jesus turn and look us in the eye at that moment and that instant we denied him. Man, just imagine the grief and the shame and, and the, the humiliation that Peter must have felt because he had loudly and boldly declared, I'll never deny you, I'll die before I deny you. And yet here, just hours later, he had denied Christ these three times. What led to those denials? Fear. Fear led Peter to deny Christ. Well, let me ask you, has fear ever led you to deny Christ in any way? Maybe you were in a situation, maybe you were in an instance where God placed you and God called you and you knew as a conversation was taking place or there was an opportunity that you should stand up for truth. You should do what was right according to what Scripture teaches and what God would have you to stand up for, but you didn't say anything. You didn't deny outright, but you didn't speak the truth that needed to be spoken in that situation or that instance. I think we've all had these encounters with family members, you know, with coworkers, with, with people around where, where topics and issues come up, and we know what Scripture teaches. And we know that God has placed us there to be a light and to be a, to be a mouthpiece for truth. And yet, because of our fear of what people will think, what they may say, of, of what the discussion may go like, we, we don't say anything at all. I was meeting with a, a couple recently and uh, doing their premarital counseling, and Shelly and I had gone to dinner. We, we do that. I meet with couples for a couple of sessions for their premarital counseling, and then the last one, we go to dinner so Shelly can defend herself, all right, because 
I, I always tell my version, you know, of how, how marriage works out. And, and then Shelly's like, let me tell you how it really goes down, all right, you know? And so we're meeting with this couple, young couple, just graduating college, a beautiful couple, godly couple. And she was telling us that some, uh, some older ladies in her workplace had approached her and started giving her marital advice. Honey, you haven't lived with this man. You've got to live with him and get to know him because after marriage, men change. They really, really change. And she said they were just laying it on thick and, you know, just really heading down this path. And in my mind, I was like, oh, you know, this happens so often. We go to ungodly people for counsel, and, and they give us ungodly wisdom. We follow that wisdom, and we make a mess of our lives. And so I'm sitting there thinking of what I'm going to say. And before I could say anything, the young lady sitting across the table said, yeah, in my mind, I thought, these aren't people that I need to be listening to. They're not believers. And she knows because she hears in the office of, of, of their family situation and their marital status and their relationship. And she was like, I just nodded and smiled and said, you know what? We, we, we trust God and we believe God's going to walk us through this. And so I said, this is the path that we're going to take. I was like, yeah, you go, girl. You know, stand up for truth. But I think most of us have been on the other side of that when we didn't speak for truth. Or maybe we didn't share the gospel with someone. God gives us a relationship and opens a door for us to be able to share what Christ has meant in our lives or how we're growing in our relationship with Christ or, or to share with them the hope of salvation that's, that's made possible in Jesus. And we, we're afraid. We panic. We get scared and we think, you know what? I don't want to say anything because I like this person. I like our friendship and our relationship. And if I say something, they're going to think I'm a Jesus freak. They're going to think I'm a fanatic, and it'll be weird, you know, between us. They'll come around, and they won't talk, and, and we won't be able to hang out and stuff together because now I'm talking to them about spiritual issues, and they may get offended at that. Fear keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's power and from fulfilling the call of God on our lives. I have said before that God always calls us to something bigger than ourselves. God does that so God can show and demonstrate his power that, hey, this isn't what you're able to do. Absolutely, it's not what you can do in your own power. It's what I can do in you and through you to accomplish my will, my work in and through your life. So God always calls us to something bigger than ourselves. But if we're afraid and we're scared and we don't step out in faith and we don't follow that call, we don't experience the fullness of God's power because we say, I I can't do that. And God's going, I know you can't do that. I knew that from the beginning. It's not about what you can do, but our fear holds us back and keeps us from experiencing that fullness of God's power and following his call upon our lives. Well, I want you to fast forward now uh, to after Jesus' resurrection. Flip over to John chapter 21. Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected from the dead. Uh, the disciples saw him, they had encountered him, and then there was this period of time where they didn't see Jesus before he finally came. I uh, gave them kind of the, the, the great commission, his final words to them, and then he ascended back into heaven. And so during this period of waiting, they went back to doing what they knew well, what they had done before. They went back to the comfort of what they could do in their own strength and their own power. They were fishing because they were fishermen. And I really believe in my heart that a part of the reason they did that was because of Peter and Peter's leadership. He was a leader among the disciples. Peter was a fisherman. And I think there was a part of Peter that was really struggling with the fact that he had denied Christ, and he felt unworthy. He felt that he had disappointed Jesus. He had let him down, and that even though Jesus had set some great things and had a great, grand vision before Peter, Peter was like, I can't do that because I denied Christ. If I had done what was right, if I had stood my ground, if I, had, if I had declared my allegiance to him, then I could be used by him, but I failed. I messed up, and now 
I can't do what I thought Jesus wanted me to do. So since I can't do that, what am I going to do? guess I'm going to go back and fish. I'll be a fisherman for the rest of my life. And so they go, they're back fishing. In John chapter 21, Jesus makes an important stop to speak to Peter to do something very important in his life. Verse 9, what happened was they'd been fishing all night. They caught nothing. Jesus showed up on the shore and said, Are you catching anything? They said, No. He said, Hey, put your nets on the other side of the boat, which Jesus had done earlier in his ministry. So they dropped the nets on the other side of the boat and had a miraculous catch of fish. Instantly, they knew that it was Jesus. So the Bible says that Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. He wanted to get in and be in Jesus' presence. So he, he gets out, he swims to shore. The rest of the disciples come. Verse 9 says, When they got out on land, they saw a, what's it say? Charcoal fire. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So they had breakfast seated around this charcoal fire. Let me ask you something. Do you think Peter understood and remembered what had taken place at a previous fire in his life? Oh, he did. He understood it very clearly. However, he misinterpreted what was taking place. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Tons of speculation on what these means. Did Peter mean, or did Jesus mean to fish? Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your career, your profession? Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe Peter, uh, Jesus was saying, Peter, do you love me more than your brothers? The, the, this band of brothers, these disciples that you spent your life and you, you ministered alongside, do you love me more than these men? We don't really know, but either way, it's Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than whatever it is? Do you love me more than anything? Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, this is Jesus to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look at this statement. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Why do you think Peter was grieved? Because Peter remembered that fire. And Jesus asking these questions in Peter's mind, he's going, yeah, he remembers. He came to tell me that he had great hopes, great dreams, high expectations. He thought I was going to do awesome things, and I disappointed him. I let him down. He's going to say, Peter, thanks, but no thanks. You gave it a good try, but dude, it's just too much. Too much of a mistake, too much of a failure. He thought Jesus was there to remind him of his failure. But stick with me for just a moment. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he speaks these words to tell Peter and to issue a very special call to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death 
he was to glorify God, meaning Peter. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, there's going to come a time when against your will, you are going to be led away and you are going to die. And you would not choose that death for yourself, but it's going to be the punishment that you will receive for something so the key question here is, well, what? He, he's going to be uh, arrested. He, he's going to be, you know, in prison. He's going to be carried away and executed for something. For what would he be executed? We'll get to that in just a moment. But after saying this, the end of verse 19, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. You see, Jesus had already called Peter one time to come and follow him, and Peter had. Now Peter thought it was done, it was over because he had made a mistake. But Jesus said, no, 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 Peter. I want you to continue to keep on following me. So he called Peter a second time. And Peter had a choice to make. Would he follow Jesus or would he not? Well, I want to talk about a couple of applications from Peter's life and talk about what, that, what Jesus brings to our life to replace the fear that we so often experience. First, we see that Jesus forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. Peter denied Christ. He fell short. He missed the mark after he vehemently declared that he wouldn't miss the mark, that he wouldn't deny Christ. And you know, we all do the same thing. Sometimes we're bound and determined not to, and we still sin. At other times, uh, it's not a, a focal point in our lives, but as we wander through life, we still choose to disobey and to not honor God in our lives. Peter denied Christ around a fire this charcoal fire that was there. Would you say those were pre, three pretty negative things in Peter's life? I mean, I think he thought about those and his stomach just turned. Well, I would say those are pretty negative things. So think about on a scorecard here, Peter is negative three. He's in the hole for serving Christ and following him because of his denials. But he also got to tell Jesus three times face to face that he loved Jesus more than anything, his profession, uh, his fellow servants, his, his band of brothers, the other disciples, tell him he loved him more than anything. Are those three positive things in your life that you get to tell Jesus face to face, I love you more than anything? Yeah, that, that, that's pretty positive. Well, let me ask you something, you math majors out here. When you add negative three and positive three, what do you get? Zero. Or, in this instance, you get a second chance. Jesus came back and very specifically asked Peter three times, do you love me more than anything else? So that Peter could say, yes, that I love you. And Jesus said, Peter, come and follow me. I want you. I need you. I do have plans for you. I want you to serve and follow me above all else. Jesus came to Peter not to remind him of his sins, but to forgive him of his sins and to reinstate him, to call him back to faithful service and obedience to Christ and the sake of the gospel. I asked Grant this morning, I said, can we sing the God of second chances? Because that is the picture that we see in Peter's life. Jesus gave him a second chance. His sins were, were forgiven. They were forgotten. He got a clean slate and a fresh start to serve instead of deny Christ. Jesus forgives sins. 
And I don't know if you noted or not, but the progression that Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, Peter, uh, he, he, he reminds Peter that, that he was to grow just as we are to grow spiritually, and we are to help others grow as well. The Great Commission would be to go and make disciples. Discipling and discipleship is a process of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs. Water lambs. Lambs are baby sheep. They're the cute little ones, right? The, the little baby sheep. Go, oh, look how cute and woolly. And, and then they're awesome. We think of them in the Easter season. We see them everywhere. The, feed my lambs. Those are going to be new believers. Peter, you are going to share the gospel and people are going to believe in me. They're going to be baby Christians. And Peter, you need to feed them. And then after the second confession that Peter loved him, Jesus said, tend my sheep. To tend to my sheep. So as these baby lambs begin to grow, they're going to need protection. They're going to need care. They're going to need someone to watch over them. Peter, tend to my sheep as they grow. And then after the third profession where Peter said, I love you more than these, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Adult, full-grown sheep still need to be Fed. And so we see these things flesh themselves out in Peter's life, that he did preach the gospel and people came to Christ. And Peter wrote and encouraged them as believers in how to grow and live out their faith and their obedience to Christ. And, and he taught them to, to hunger for and to live off of the truths in God's word. Well, one last thing before we look at Peter's uh, response to this call to follow Jesus once again. I want you to understand and see clearly that Jesus loves us so much that he meets us where we are to help us grow to be who he wants us to be and to be where he wants us to be. Now, you, you probably wouldn't be able to, to catch this reading through the John passage, but I've got to highlight something for you that is absolutely fascinating. There are three words uh, that, that uh, the Greek language uses to describe love. There's the word agape, agape love, which is an unconditional, selfless kind of love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. There's eros, or an erotic kind of love. This is uh, a physical, you know, uh, attraction between a man and a woman, an erotic eros kind of love. And then there's phileo, uh, which is a brotherly kind of love, a kindness toward all people. We have a city in America known as Philadelphia, which is called the city of what? Brotherly love. It comes from that Greek word phileo. In this interaction, Jesus comes to Peter, and he starts the first time, and he says, Peter, do you agape love me unconditionally? You know what Peter responds back to Jesus? Lord, I phileo, I brotherly love you. So Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you agape unconditionally love me? And Peter responds back, Lord, I phileo, I brotherly love you. It's interesting, this dialogue, I believe that Peter in his heart felt, Lord, I can't say that I unconditionally love you. I denied you. I failed. I let you down. I don't have the capacity to love you unconditionally. I know you want me to love you with an agape love, but Lord, I just can't do it. My, my track record proves that I can't love you like I want to, like, like you think I ought to be able to love you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've disappointed you and I've let you down. So Jesus asks twice, do you agape love me? Peter responds twice, Lord, I phileo love you. But you know the third time when Jesus asks this question, Jesus says, okay, all right, Peter, let, let, let's start where you are. Peter, 
do you phileo love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I have a phileo love for you. Jesus met him where he was. It's okay, Peter. I'm here. I'm right with you. You walk with me. You follow me. And I'll grow you. I'll lead you. I'll help you have that capacity to have an agape, unconditional love. Jesus loves us so much. He meets us where we are and then grows us, matures us into who he wants us to be. I read a story. Dr. Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon. And he, he shared an account that so reminded me of how Jesus came to Peter and wanted him so desperately to know, Peter, it's okay. I love you as you are. Understand that. Once you know that and follow me, I'll move you to where you need to be. Dr. Maltz said he got a call from a woman who wanted him to come to her home uh, to have a consult about some plastic surgery. So he went and he met with the woman, and she shared that she and her husband had been married, and not too long after they were married, the husband's mother and his disabled brother had come to live in their home. They had a separate wing, and they stayed there. Uh, one day, as they were living there, a fire started in that wing of the home. And the husband rushed in to try to save his mother and his brother, but was unable to, and they perished in that fire. But the husband, in his efforts, was badly burned, and his face was very disfigured. And he had locked himself in a bedroom, hadn't had interaction, any kind of a relationship with his wife, with his family, with coworkers, with anyone. He had self-imposed a prison on him because of his, his disfigured face. And Dr. Maltz heard this and said, oh, I, I know I'll be able to restore your husband's face. You know, just let me meet him and we'll talk and give me some pictures. And she said, no, no, no. She said, she said, no. She said, that's not why I called you here. She said, my husband wrongly believes that his being disfigured is punishment because he didn't save his mother and his brother. And that's what God has, has penalized him with and that he's to live his life in seclusion and being alone because he couldn't save his mother and his brother. And so Dr. Maltz is really puzzled now until the wife said, the reason I called you here is because I want you to do plastic surgery on me. And I want you to disfigure my face so that I can go in and show my husband that I love him and I want to be with him. I don't care what he looks like. Dr. Maltz said he was blown away. He said, ma'am, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that surgery, but, but can I go talk to your husband? And so he went and he knocked on the bedroom door. And he told him, I, I'm here, and, and I know I can restore your face. Just, just trust me. Come out and let's talk. And at that point, the, there, there was no response. And so Dr. Maltz waited for a few moments, and he, he, he said once again, he said, Listen, your wife invited me over here to ask me to disfigure her face, to make her face look like yours, in the hope that you will let her back into your life. That's how much she loves you. That's how much she wants to be with you. And he said, ever so slowly, the doorknob began to turn. And that husband opened the door, came out of that self-imposed prison, and received his wife's love, went through with the surgery, had a renewed, a restored marriage relationship with his life. He had the capacity to love once again because he was convinced of how deeply his wife loved him. 
That's how much Jesus loves you and wants to meet you where you are to help you grow to who he wants you to be. But here's the thing. You, like that man, you, like Peter, you must accept. You must believe and accept God's love and God's forgiveness for you. Peter had a choice to make. He denied Christ. He knew that. He felt terrible about it. Jesus came and met him at the fireplace and asked him about his love, and Jesus got, or Peter got to profess that. But Peter had a choice to make. Would he forgive himself? Would he accept the forgiveness of Christ, and would he follow after him in obedience? Or would he reject that love? Would he, would he live in that self-pity and that guilt and that shame uh, and believe the lies that Satan would whisper in his ear, just like he whispers in our ear? God can't use you. You ever heard that? God can't use you. God wouldn't use a person like you. You're not good enough for him. Do you remember all this stuff that you've done? God couldn't love you. He wouldn't want you. If people knew the real you, they wouldn't listen to anything you said. And don't think Satan wasn't whispering and chattering those things in Peter's ear. But what was he going to do with this forgiveness that Jesus was presenting him with? You know, I believe that self-forgiveness is probably the hardest part of forgiveness. I talked about that last week. God can forgive perfectly. God can forget perfectly. But boy, we can't. We struggle with our own pity, our own shame, our own guilt. Peter experienced fear and he denied Christ. But the resurrected Jesus came to Peter to take away that fear, to replace it with something else. What did, what did Jesus want to give? What did he give Peter in place of his fear? He gave him courage, and he gave him boldness. But Peter had to, and he did, accept Jesus' forgiveness. And then he had to accept Jesus' call to follow him. And you know what? Peter did. He accepted that forgiveness. He said in, in obedience to Christ. And Scripture teaches us, as far as we see in Scripture, that he never again denied Christ. But he was arrested. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was persecuted. And ultimately, tradition tells us that Peter was led away. They were going to crucify him. Remember how Jesus said, your hands will be stretched out? Tradition says that they came and they, they took Peter. They were going to execute him. He was going to die as a martyr for his faith in Christ because he wouldn't deny him again. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. Would you please crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to die like my Jesus did. And I just shared with you that Peter went and he preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ and, and he wrote the epistles to encourage them and he spoke of himself as the under-shepherd and he challenged them to, to read God's word. And there's this passage in Acts chapter 5 that just shows how greatly and how powerfully God used Peter after he followed Jesus' call. In Acts chapter 5, it says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Peter was such a recognizable, well-known person that they brought the sick out on the streets, thinking if just Peter's shadow will fall on them, they will be healed. That's a man who is being used mightily and powerfully for the kingdom of God and for the cause of Christ. How did it happen? Because Peter accepted Jesus' love and forgiveness, and he gave his all for Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
And so I ask you this morning, what fears are holding you back? Do you fear men more than you fear God? Is there a fear of failure? Is it a fear of the unknown? Are you sitting in fear awaiting test results to come back, to to give you some news that, that you're very afraid of? Is it a fear of loneliness? I don't know what may be dogging you this morning, but I know this. Jesus wants to set you free from that fear, and he wants to give you courage, and he wants to give you boldness in its place. It's available today if you would believe and you would receive that Jesus died in your place to forgive you of your sins, to give you a second chance. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and our pastors will be available, and they would love to talk with you about how you can have a new beginning, a fresh start in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But for, but for some of you as believers here today, th- this issue of fear, you've realized that you've not been fully surrendered. That if Jesus came and said, do you love me more than these, or do you love me more than this, your response would be, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that, that I do. And he's saying today, let go of that fear follow my call, trust me, I will give you everything you need. Are you willing to give everything in surrender to me, even if it means giving up your life? But, you know, maybe some of you just want to come this morning and on this Resurrection Sunday and just spend some time at the altar saying to God, God, thank you. Thank you for meeting me where I was, where I am, and for helping me grow to know you more fully and to experience your power and your boldness in my life. God is a God of second chances. And when you get knocked down or when you fall down, God is saying to you, let me help you up in my power, in my strength, so you can go and you can show others what a difference I've made in your life and you can invite them to let me make that difference in their life as well. God is a God of second chances. Will you receive yours today if you haven't? And if you have received your second or third or fourth or whatever chance you're on, what are you doing with that opportunity to serve Christ? Let us pray.